this wake up call that I can be a good leader and be a t- terrible manager at the same time. Like that was this mess. Yeah. Until I got my teeth kicked in. I kind of viewed those two things as the same thing. Welcome back to the All In Podcast with Rick Jordan. Hey, what's shaking? I am here with Robert Nickel. Rob, what's up, brother? Great, great to see you. Last time we were together, we were we were watching the the world premiere of your movie. So it's it's great to see you again, my friend. Dude, it's really good to see you again too. What'd you think about that? Because I know I was there was so many people to talk to afterwards, but just straight up, what, how'd you feel about that? Uh, well, one is I, I want whatever you take to get the, the energy that you have, whatever sleep, whatever you're doing to, to have the amount of energy to do the number of projects that you've got going on all the time. <laughs> I need some of that because to, to take it's such a well-made high produced, you know, the production quality, the production value of that was insane whatever it took to make that, like to me, that would basically be a full-time job. And so for you to have all the stuff you've got going on with your business and your podcast, and I know you just went to the to the White House not long ago, right? And then now you're making a movie and doing all these things. Like the movie's great, but man, where do you where do you get the energy to do all that you you've got going on? Thanks, brother. You're flipping over to the host on the show. That's kind of fun, too. I do that in appearance. <laughs> You're asking me the questions. That's awesome. No, that's actually cool because then it makes it your show, which is awesome, man. It's a little it's a little trade secret that I have when I go on TV all the time is I start asking the questions and it turns me into the host when it's somebody else's show. It's pretty cool. Dude, you're you're awesome. I love that. No, I appreciate the kind words, man. It's uh, th- there's this thing I've always had for the past five years or so, I'd say, is just say yes. I was even talking to my barber about this the other day that, you know, I always think because no matter what, man, because even in that experience at the premiere when, of my movie and this thing, I'm sitting there and I'm just in awe, not just because of the great quality of production that you have, because I've got an amazing team that was behind that and just incredibly talented people, man. I mean, I, I always say like, I'm just a show pony and the guy that kind of like says, this is the way that we're going. And I've got amazing, amazing integrators to help me get there. Because I'm I'm the one with the crazy, like insane ideas. And I start thinking when I see the final project or the final product, you know, it's like, why me? Why did this good thing happen to me? And it's almost like a little bit of an insecurity of mine too. I'm getting a little vulnerable with you. It's almost like a little insecurity because I've always had to ask that question, why me? You know, I'm sitting in the White House. It's why me? I'm sitting, you know, wherever in a room taking my company public. And it's like, why me? And I finally came up with the answer this year. And the answer is because I will. And the, for years and years and years, it's been why me, why me, why me, why me in a humbling way. You know, why does the, these good things happen to me? Because, I, dude, I fall flat on my face too. You know, I lost 500K in a project last year, $500,000. I mean, that's more than most of America's primary residents as far as how it costs, you know. But it's... I go through my failures, but still when the good things happen, I still ask the why me's because I I turn it in on myself. And it's like, now the answer is maybe you'll take something away with this too. The answer is because I will. Now, who else is going to step up? And I'm sure you've got stories like that too, man, because I see, and this is interesting to me because you left your W2 job, right? Two years out of college. And yeah, yeah. It takes uh, some nerve to, uh, to be an entrepreneur, right? It takes some nerve to run a business, to, to be the one in charge. 
how old were you? Were you 20, 21? Uh, I, I don't know. How old are you when you graduate college? I was something like that, 22, and then a couple of years later. So I was maybe 24 whenever when I left my W-2 job. Too uh, young and dumb to know, know how stupid I was for making that choice, right? And not only that, it was right in the middle of the, the recession. So I, but you know, when you don't know any, any better, you don't know you're supposed to be scared. When you go into things without fear, you're, you're able to make decisions that aren't, aren't clouded in, in fear. Therefore, I felt like I was, I was moving when a lot of people were standing still and, and the Texas market, man, it was great. I was in real estate and, and the market had, it didn't really change that much. So not only was I not afraid, the market was fine. So I was just, I woke up every day as if it was just, you know, there was just nothing but opportunity. So yeah, it, I, I, I can definitely relate to what you're saying. It takes some nerve to get up every day and just kind of go crush the day as, as if there's no fear involved. It does, man. Yeah. And I know when I was that age too, because I, I thought of starting up my own gig when I was the same age. And I remember putting up a website because I, I've been in IT for years, right? 20 years and thinking, oh, I'm going to have a web hosting business. You know, and this was like 2001. So it was right on the heels of the dot-com crash because you know, that was like 99, 2000. And when I threw up the sign, I'm like, I'm going to host some stuff, you know, because right from the very beginning, I always said I wanted something that's going to provide passive income or really recurring revenue. I, I just needed that because I always wanted to depend on something coming in before making that jump. But what I realized is that I didn't really go all in in that moment. I just kind of threw it up as like a side hustle. And I commend you for what you did because, dude, you just went all in right from the beginning and said, this is, this is my gig. I, me, I just threw something up in an already saturated market because we were coming out of the dot-com crash. I'm like, this is going to be great, right? And it still took me like another eight or nine years to finally make that jump. And it took me, I don't know if you knew this about me, but it took me getting laid off in the recession, you know, which is probably about the same time as you. Right? It was 2007, 2008 that we're talking here. And that's the recession you're talking about. You're nodding, yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly so, right. Yeah. So it was the same timing, just different ages that we had to when I jumped out and finally set them all in. But I needed that extra kick. And I did, like you, man, I didn't have any fear. It was just that I was still clinging onto that freaking W-2 paycheck as my safety. And as soon as that safety disappeared, I'm like, well, I guess I got to do it now. Yeah, you know, I'm lucky enough that my... Uh, W-2 job wasn't paying me enough to give me those proverbial golden handcuffs that people like to talk <laughs> about, right? Like I did, I was, I wasn't making near what I thought I should be making. And, and I had big goals and, and big dreams. And so that's why real estate for me made a lot of sense at the beginning. I had read all the books, the, the rich dad, poor dad books, the, the e-myths by Michael Gerber. And that, that's what really inspired me. You talk about the passive income. Like I, you know, the, to me, real estate it was was great. It's fine. I enjoyed real estate, but to me, real estate was just the vehicle. It was the tool to get me to. You, you're talking about the passive income. I wanted to go on vacation and there be more money in the account when I came home than when I left. And instead of, you know, as a as a real estate investor, it's a transactional business. It, if you're not doing deals all the time, you know, you can go on vacation. You're spending money on vacation, but you're also not doing deals back home. And so it feels like you're going negative twice or more. And it's just like, it's so, so I wanted to escape that. I didn't, I didn't think it was cool when people were posting at 4am going to the gym because this like hustle mentality, it's the only time 
that, that you have to take care of yourself is it's 4 a.m. because you've got other obligations. To me, that wasn't the goal was to just be lost in this grind and this hustle. And and I kind of saw my W-2 as that same type of, of thing where you're just so constrained constrained with your time and what you're able to do. So my, that was, yeah, I, real estate was, was great, but it was really just a vehicle as a tool for me to get exactly what you're talking about to that, that passive standpoint, uh, which I wish I could say Rick happened right away. Right. I was just smart enough to get in there and do it the right way, right at the beginning. But, but it took me a while to kind of take some bumps and bruises to, to really learn how to business build a business the right way, which is why I'm so proud of what we've been able to do the last several years. Cause it's been able to help people who are feeling the exact same pain that I was feeling every single day, trying to achieve that dream that you were talking about. Right. Because I, I know it's the same for you. The business is about other things, right? You want to be a great dad. You want to be a great spouse. You've got other things in your life that, they are most important to you and your business is just a vehicle. It's a tool to, to get you to that opportunity, if I'm correct. Yeah, I my mind was going to where you said I didn't really make it make it the first year, you know, and we talked about or you talked about the W-2 shackle or the paycheck shackle that, that's there, that, that safety net, as I called it. And the very first year, you know, I remember making next to nothing when I still had to do this, you know, and I wasn't coming out of a super high paying job that I was laid off because it was a recession. I was actually working for Best Buy and I was in their business to business department. I wrote the freaking sales playbook for that whole thing before they crashed that division. And it was 700 people nationwide that got eliminated down to about 50 or so. And that was, I was one of the 650 that was let go. I mean, people that had tenure there for 15 years, man, were just let go. Wow. And that's insane. I was, I was only making like $85,000 a year. When I was there, you know, which is a, I say only, but that dollar amount is actually higher than what the Small Business Administration says the average small business owner takes home on an annual basis because it's something like fifty nine thousand dollars. That's it. But still, eighty five thousand dollars is a good middle class living, isn't it? You know, so that's where I was like saying, you know, well, I got this safety that's over here and I can pay my bills, I can pay my mortgage because I was at the point a few years back to where you know. My wife and I, I think total when we were married, we were married in 2001, between the two of us, we were bringing in combined about $45,000 a year. That's it. As a married couple income, it was only $45,000. And here I am making $85,000 on my own, plus hers, we were over six figures, which is a good income. Even today, it's a good income for a family. It's, it's not bad at all. And when that went down to absolutely nothing, I mean, just like you're saying, because you said, my question was, how much did you make the first year, dude? Because I made maybe like 30K, that's it. My, like well, in my pocket, yeah, take home. My first year of real estate, just doing it on my own, was about that in mid thirties. Yeah, it was uh, it was terrible actually. And I was working way more hours than, than I was just at the W2 job. So yeah, it was a pretty, pretty brutal, um, introduction to uh you know the real world of business ownership isn't that great I mean, just jumping into the fire you know th there's no other better way to learn than that is to be uncomfortable and there's nothing yeah, like being I uncomfortable just, uh, than having kids or a wife and making thirty thousand dollars yeah i was just saying that's why i was lucky because i didn't have those obligations right i didn't and you know i, I wasn't a dad i wasn't a spouse i wasn't so it was um like be like it was a whole lot easier for me 
to make that decision to jump in and, and, and become my own boss and, and start a business because yeah. I didn't have kids. I wasn't married. There wasn't, um, you know, young, young, you know, few, whenever you're raising kids as their future adults, you've got college paper, you've got cars to, to look for and things like that. I, I totally get that. So for me, I felt like I was really, even to this day, I feel really lucky business-wise to not have some of those obligations, which allows me to, to focus a little bit more on work. And that whole um, work-life balance thing isn't, isn't much of a pull for me because I, I get to be a great uncle and I, and I love my, my nephews and my niece will be here soon in, a, in about a week. Our first girl in the family, awesome, so man. super excited about that. Yeah, so super excited. But I don't have little ones at home, so it allows me to focus. And so, yeah, man, I, I can't imagine being in your situation with your wife and kids and, and having a, a good paying job. But I guess so that was Best Buy laying you off that led you into to jumping into entrepreneurship. That was exactly. Yeah, I had always had the itch since about seven years prior to that. And everyone always asks, you know, I've had this even in Instagram stories and everything. You know, what's your biggest regret? And my biggest regret has always been not going all in sooner, not just diving into it because I really had this kick that shoved me into it. I already had that mindset. I already was ready to go, but I just had that safety that was over there that I just couldn't get rid of or couldn't just step away from, especially when I found out that I had twins on the way, you know, it's like, well, I guess I'm just here for now, but you know, six months later, then I was laid off, but that's the only regret that I would ever have. And I, everything completely shifted from then saying that no matter what it is, I'm all in, you know, re regardless. And it still took me some years after that, man, because it took me getting really, really sick to really go after things. And that was about five years ago. And instead of just saying, well, I'm all in now, it's also coupled with, I just say yes. Yeah, and it just ha has to be that way. And that's the whole roundabout way to come back to what we started at is that what the why me question, it's because I will. And it's the same thing. I see that same drive in a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of people that step out. And even if you're, th there's nothing wrong with a W-2 job. There's nothing wrong with working for somebody else either, because dude, you can totally crush it and you can have the same mindset. You can have the all in mentality. You can still just say yes and go after every opportunity in front of you while you're still working for somebody else. And I used to wonder myself too, why doesn't everybody want to become an entrepreneur? You know, because it's so freaking rewarding. But then I look at all the stressors as well. Because I look around at all the people that work for me and all the weight of that on my shoulders, because it's not just providing for my own family anymore, dude. It's providing for families of everybody that, that works with me and for me. And when you take a risk like last year, you almost want to like insulate everybody else because I, the event and everything. And then I got screwed by the resort that was there. They're like the mafia, dude. It's crazy. It's Vegas and stuff. But, you know, and losing $500,000 on that event, I just got the final number from Kingsley, who does all my all my books and everything just a, a couple of weeks ago. He's like, yeah, you got like a half a million dollars in losses, man. And I was like, how can I do that? You know, <laughs> it was, well, it's it's the event, man. That's exactly what what happened. So you go through those hardships and start to think, even with that, I was still able to insulate everybody else around me and still keep the business rolling. And the only negative impact was actually onto myself. But through that, even through the trials and the failures, which I'm sure you have some too, and I'm going to ask you about yours in just a second here. Even through that, man, I made so many relationships out of that failure. 
I would not be going public right now. I wouldn't have the podcast that I have, the level that I have, the, 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 the friendships that I have, like with Kevin Harrington, the original shark from Shark Tank, that really gave us a bond that we shared together with the event. And without having that failure, I wouldn't have the success that I have even today, just a year later. So you just keep going forward, man. You just keep saying, I will, and just say yes. And I'm sure you had pain and struggle too, because figuring out how to build your company, and now you, you're in the business of VAs, right? You yeah, have... we're a virtual staffing company. We really just do two things. We do system and process development. We actually build out um, scope and, and system resources. And then, yeah, dedicated teams to, to fill those roles, virtual teams. So what was the struggle or the pain that you experienced that said, I want to help others build their process and their teams now? Yeah, when, when I first got out of college, I was pretty, um, I would say, arrogant and naive. I thought I should be running a huge corporation right out of school and there should be a million people underneath me you know, that I was managing and responsible for. And I, I thought that I was, should just go rule the world right away, right? And I, I didn't know how naive that was and, and how valuable experience really is. But, uh, you know, I worked a, a corporate job a couple of years and decided that, that I had more opportunity if I could go just jump into real estate and, and work on building a business on my own, I could get there a whole lot faster. And what I wanted was I, I really wanted that, that idea of financial freedom. I don't mean to sound cliche or whatever, but I wanted to get a certain amount of passive income in place where I could kind of do whatever and not be, be constrained by someone else controlling my time anymore. That, that's what I really wanted. And man, when I jumped into real estate, I went from working 40 hours a week. You're like, there's nothing wrong with W-2. Hell no. Not whenever you've got a, a, a good salary <laughs> with benefits. And, and only just, 40 you know, hours a week. <laughs> 40 hours a yep. week and, and very clear expectations of what you have to do. And sometimes it only took you 20 hours to actually get those that oh, no kidding. Right? Exactly. Yep. Yeah. And then now all of a sudden, whenever it's a business and you literally eat, breathe and sleep all day, every day, I was like, I was in that exact phase that I did not want to be in, which I was, you know, alarms going off at 4am and I'm waking up, you know, in a panic because I've got too much to do. And then when I knew I needed to go to bed at night and I wasn't going to sleep because I had too much to do. Right. So I went from thinking that I knew everything and that this job wasn't good enough. And I jumped right in and I, I burned the boats. I went all in, right? Right. At the deep. That's kind of my personality is to go all in. And man, it was rough at the beginning. It was just the, I was making more money than I was in my W2, but spending three times the amount of time to get there. And I resented any extra money that I had. And that's, so my, my current business, how I got there was I went and talked to my broker, who was a mentor of mine. You know, Texas is a, a non-disclosure state. So if you want any good information about what's happening in the housing market or what's going on in real estate, you have to have MLS access. And so the only way to do that is to be a licensed realtor. So I was a realtor and you have to hang your license under a broker. And my broker had this great business. He had a team of agents that that were really successful. He did really well. But even more than that, he was a great dad. Here he was with real responsibilities and a real life and things that he actually cared about. And he had a good business as well. So I was like, man, I've got to go figure out his secret, right? What, what he was doing, because 
I was ready to go back to my W2 job, to be honest with you, Rick. Like I was ready to go just figure out something else, right? Just just to do something else. And um, I wish I could say I just jumped into real estate and all of a sudden was Donald Trump and was just killing it and making all the money. But that was not it at all. So I, I jumped into real estate. It was terrible. I hired some friends and family to do some work. That didn't go very well. I then hired off the traditional websites like Indeed, Ladders, and and all the different places. And oh, that was a terrible experience, Rick, for me. I would hire people, I'd put them in place, I I would do most of the like background checks and resume screening and and following up with references and that like I would do most of that stuff. But I'd mostly just hire the person who interviewed really well, right? Who would just kind of like come in and just like seemed like they knew what they were doing and they could do it and just kept, were going to kind of come in there and ease some of my pain that I had. And it was terrible. I, I hated walking into my office every day. I hated going in because I knew my day was just going to be telling other people what to do all day. And instead of me getting my time back, my time was just spent telling other people what to do. So that's what I was going to complain to my broker about is, whoa, poor pitiful me, right? Managing people is terrible. And he just kind of looked at me and he said, man, I'm not going to listen to you bitch whine and complain. He's like, you've got the same number of hours in the day and the same resources and opportunity as everybody else. You need to get your stuff together and figure it out. Like, you know, this isn't entrepreneurship and building a business. You're not entitled to anything. This isn't a game for the week. You go figure it out and, and make it happen. And I just started asking him questions. And that's why I realized, Rick, that... The majority of his business, which was a a successful business, was run by people not sitting in his office directly. So he had teams in the Philippines answering the phone and anything that had to do with phone work or client facing or outward facing stuff. And so in his real estate brokerage, that was all his circle prospecting, talking to incoming calls, people calling off the signs. They were doing his transaction coordinating, which was working with the title companies and they were you know working with his his buyer list of, of people that were buying homes and coordinating all the stuff and i thought all those people were sitting in his office and on his back end tech side he had teams out of ukraine that were doing all this cool technology stuff he was always having these little widgets and things come out and i thought these were people they were sitting in some big office that he had here in north texas and those teams <laughs> were spread out all over the place and so Literally That's around the world. That, literally all over the globe. And yeah. these were amazing, talented people who had college degrees, who had families, who were just, you know, I hate to use the expression of like normal, like they were, it was just this normal environment. This is what seemed that everything seemed normal to me, except people were literally all over the world. And so that's when I first started hiring people. That was in 2010, 2011. That's when I first started hiring virtual teams to work in my real estate business. And again, I wish I could say it was just perfect, Rick, at the beginning. But that's, that, that was the impetus to get me going was that I, I knew that I had a better use of my time than answering the phones all day or doing the things where I was just the same process over and over and over and over again. Like I just knew that that made no sense that I wasn't ever going to be able to scale. So the the biggest problem I had was I was the bottleneck and everything. It's like, it didn't matter how talented I was. There was just only so many things 
that I could do in the day. Right. So, so I just started figuring it out, Rick. I started, like, I realized that my biggest problems in hiring people were, I didn't have any systems and processes in place. Everything was just in my head. Like I knew how to do everything, but nothing was written down. There weren't any scripts. There wasn't a, a system manual for how I wanted the CRM updated or how you know you created new accounts within the G Suite. Or there was no system or process for anything. And that's the worst ever, too, especially when you hire people and you start to. Because I noticed that a few years back, man, is that when I would hire people and all of a sudden that you know after thirty days, I'm like, man, they really suck. they're they're not doing their job and it's like for starters they don't even know how to do their job because even though everything would be supposed to be right exactly look like like you knew in your head but did they know what that was you know was that was that so yeah man that that was the that was it man was me sucking at hiring people i felt like i've like in my life there's been many times where i've been categorized as a good leader right i played sports through college and I, you know, I always in locker rooms and was always categorized as a leader in my classrooms and sports team. And so for me, this wake up call that I can be a good leader and be a t- terrible manager at the same time. Oh, like, they're that two was totally different mess. things. Yeah, yes, yeah, I exactly. I, until I went and got, you talked about struggles, yep. man. Until I got my teeth <laughs> kicked in, I kind of viewed those two things as the same thing. And man, doesn't everybody about, though? And that's, yeah, that's the, that's the misconception. And yeah, I, I hear you because the leader, you know, I've heard that my entire life too, since I was maybe eight years old, it's like, oh, you're just, you're just a great leader. You know, and I'd always step up to the plate, you know, going all in anytime there's an opportunity. It's like, all right, I'm here, bring it on. And there was even times I would be arrogant and cocky that way being like, Hey, this person just left. Don't worry. I got this. I'm the man, you know, you got to come, you know, and I was knocked down enough times to realize it's not the best approach, but still leading. I mean, you're just in front of the pack and just saying that as a leader, I'm saying we're going this direction and I'm going to do everything I possibly can to empower you to, to rock the world. And then the manager part is saying, but I'm also going to teach you how to do it. Empower, just like leading and managing is different. Empowering and teaching are also two very different things too. Yeah, I had to really learn that, that that empowering people is what I'm good at, but then holding them accountable in the day to day and and managing the KPIs and then putting specific processes in place and and building those processes that are efficient. And that's that's what I was not good at. So we we spent a couple of years within my company solving all the things that I, I was terrible at. Right. And it's all that day to day ancillary system oriented stuff. Right. Because just because tasks aren't the best use of my time, like people like to put all these words like these medial or remedial tasks or low level tasks. Like, yeah, you can call them low level tasks, but if they don't get done and they don't get done well, then the entire business doesn't function. Right. So it's like I hated when people would call these different tasks, like low level tasks. I'm like, yeah, they're low level, but what does that even mean? Like they still have to get done and get done well, or, you know, like we're in trouble. So you take out the one process of sending the single email and the whole thing blows up in your face and the, the deal doesn't get done. Exactly. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Yep, yep. Yeah, exactly. So call that task low level all you want. And there's, there's a whole bunch of them in, throughout the organization, right? So that's why like I spent literally a couple years 
within my real estate business, putting a process together. And when I say me, I hired teams to actually build out step-by-step every single thing that's happening. And for us, that just basically had a couple couple layers to it. There's the high-level process map that a lot of people have seen, like with Glyphy charts or draw dot. Io. There's a bunch where you, you can connect the boxes, right? And that that's great for they're so for pretty though, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, it looks good, right? It's like and it's and it is good for that. We that's basically our storyboard, right? It kind of tells us what's going to happen, yeah, for and, sure. And it kind of gives a picture. But then what you have to go is and you take each one of those boxes, each one of those steps along the way, and you need to break that down step by step exactly what's going to happen. And just like for example, creating. In a new email address within the, it sounds simple, but there's like six or seven steps. And yes, they, but it's the same steps have to be followed. So it's like, it's every, for the new IT teams that come through, like you can't assume any of those six steps. Like they have to know how to go through that process every single time. So we, we take in the PDF documents, we actually build out the actual step-by-step what's happening with all the cool arrows and boxes and and then we create videos for those processes as well. So we we spent a couple years doing that within my own company. And then I helped almost a hundred people, Rick, uh, that were friends and a different investor groups and different businesses that I was a part of, business groups that I was a part of. I helped them do what it took me three or four years to kind of figure out and put a process around, right? Because it's the, it's not just having the system, the process, because once I finally put a team to build those, now it's a, it's a process to actually hire people well, right? Because now we've got a roadmap. Once we build the systems and process that flows, now we've got a roadmap for the type of people that we need to hire, right? But we still need to go through all the steps to actually hire the right person. So that that's what we did for several years, just on my own, figuring it out. And the, the, I know this is like, you asked me the question 10 minutes ago, like, what was the pain that I felt? That was the pain that I felt and went through as an entrepreneur starting a business that ultimately led to what we're doing now. It's just to solve all the the, the problems that I had and all the things, quite honestly, that I was terrible as the visionary, as the leader, as the guy out in front pulling the cart, I was terrible at answering the phone and keeping the books clean every month. You mentioned Kingsley. It's like, you know, <laughs> Dude, where you would clean we be? up everything this year? Yes. Yeah, it's great, right? But it's <laughs> like, how great would it be if we, you know, Kingsley could play more of an advisory role instead of having to do the dirty work because you've got someone that's just reconciling your books every single month, right? So it's like things that are, that are small that have a huge impact on the business. It's like we we've taken all those from inside sales to accounting and bookkeeping to um, you know all the daily administrative tasks things that we we've ultimately put teams of experts around those systems and processes that can build out the scopes and resources and then put the right people in place. So how did we get there? I was terrible at it, Rick. I was terrible at all of those things. <laughs> and I needed a resource, right? And I, I needed to do it. So we we've helped now several hundred, several hundred businesses do it. But I did it for free for almost a hundred something businesses before we even started doing it as a business. And just because 
I wanted to to share the knowledge that that I had gained and and help other people because our mission statement is enhance lives through better business. So we're a B two B company. We work with businesses, but when businesses become more efficient, they become more productive and they run the way they're supposed to run. Everything else is is better, right? We're better parents. We're better community members. Where we get you know we get to spend more time in our churches and the things that we actually care about. So. That that's what for us is actually really fun. It's when we can go into organizations, we get to go through these steps and do these things. The impact it has on the communities and people that that's where it's it's really actually fun. That is what really drives us. You, you talked about even a process to hire people because I noticed a little while back that I was a partner of mine in a different business, a security business that I had. It was like guns and guards, and I was even on mayors and you know. Uh, What's with Caitlyn Jenner at one time, you know, doing high asset protection. And I mean, it was fun that there was one thing that he had that he told me because I had a, a friend that came in. He was, he was in an IT company or he had an IT business at the time. He was really suffering and he needed just some income. So dude, no problem. We'll give you a job, you know, cause the roster was over a hundred people for the security company. You know, I had over a hundred employees in that. And no, no worries. I'm like, you know, we pay more because typically like unarmed security pays like 10 bucks an hour or something like that before the minimum wage laws kicked in. But we were paying 15. So we were paying 50% higher for the unarmed work. And I'm like, this is good money. This is more than a barista at Starbucks, you know, or, or going and pushing carts at Walmart or something like that. This is, and it can be a little fun too. And you're actually making an impact in people's lives because you're making sure that they have a, a good experience if they're having like a high profile wedding or something like that. And you're, you're making yeah, that's sure that- super interesting. The, I'd, I'd always <laughs> wondered about that, but never, you know, never had any insight into it at all. That's super interesting. It's really cool because you get to ensure a really good experience for the people that are putting on the event and the people that are attending the event. When you look at it that way, rather than just, oh, I'm just here to make sure that, you know, nobody throws stuff on the ground or anything. It's like, no, you are literally helping to maintain the experience that these people have put so much effort and energy and resources into creating a wedding, you know, a birthday party, you know, bat mitzvah or whatever it is, you know, just really affluent people that want to make sure that it's a really good time for whoever's there. And in that process, though, when he came in, this is about hiring people. When he came in, I was actually away and my partner calls me when he's there filling out the paperwork and he says, we can't hire this guy. I'm like, dude, he's my friend. I'm like, why can't we hire this guy? He goes, he just spent the past like 10 minutes explaining on how he taught you everything that you know. He goes, the guy is arrogant AF and just will never function well with the rest of our team. And then we're talking like, man, but he needs the money and everything. He goes, I realized something about us. And this like clicked with me. He goes, you and I both like to take in strays. And I realized in that moment that it's like, man, I suck at hiring because, and I started to replay all these hires over the past five years and how I would take on people that have like these major scenarios going on in their life to where they really, really need money. It was usually financial based. You know, it's like, oh, I can help you with that because I would go back to where I was broke, you know, in my head and say, you know, I hated being there. And if I can help somebody else not be there, that's what I want to do. And it was always that compassion based around the financials that I would say, hey, I'll give you a job. No problem. And then they ended up sucking, whether it was because they took the job for the wrong reasons, I hired them for the wrong reasons, or I just sucked at teaching them. You know, I was a good leader, but not a great manager. You know, so the hiring process is so important, man, to, because I felt now that I was doing all these individuals a complete disservice throughout these years. What are like three steps that employers could take 
to make the hiring process a success? You know, they're like, are there three that you can say, do these three, and this is a good place to start? Yeah, and I don't mean to sound like a broken record, but the first thing is to have a lot of clarity and structure around what the what the role actually entails and what the we talked about system and process mapping. I mean, like uh, the the joke I like to tell Tom is like anybody with kids, you go pick a kid up from school and you ask them how their day was, and I'd say, you know, you know, Rick, whenever your kids were six, seven years old, and I'd pick them up from school and say, hey. How was your day? What are what are they going to say every single time? Oh, fine, good, fine, good. And they say, yeah. "What'd you What'd you do today?" Stuff. And I worked. Stuff, I learned. Right <laughs> things. And you're like, and then you have to start prying out. It's like, oh, it's Tuesday. It's music day. Did you have music this morning? Yeah, we had music. What'd you do? Oh, we listened to you know, pulled out a record. We saw a record for the first time you know i never forget my sister explaining from what i hear vinyl's making a comeback okay it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, they, it's, they're they all are, collector's right? items now yep they are but and, and we joke about kids like you have to pry it out of them but if you ask most employees or or most entrepreneurs you say hey at the end of the day how was your day man it was great i, I crushed it today what'd you do today what what do you mean what i do today i had a hundred calls i did like they can't really tell you. They just got, and that's most businesses and most employees and most people that are, that are there. They're just coming to work and they're getting through their day. And there's not a ton of structure into, you know, what, what is the day supposed to look like? Is there, there, you know, there's just not a whole lot of organization around the workforce management yeah. around that. You talk about success. Like what does success for an individual actually look like? If you start from there, that's the number one mistake people make is they start by hiring someone without having structure in place. So the the three things you can do is number one, not hire someone first. It's to put structure and system in place, even if you're feeling some pain. Number two is you have to make sure and if you're not good at building those system and process documents, you gotta just hire somebody to do it, right? It's it's totally worth the cost of, of doing that. It may not be your team's expertise, but just get somebody to build all that stuff out for you. Now you can hire to the, you can go find the right person, right? Because you've got the clarity, you've got the success map kind of built out. So that, you know, you can build better job descriptions. You can build better um, ads that, that will, that will get the right people in. And then Rick, like you already touched on it. Number three is get out of your own way. People like you and me, like I am not good at interviewing. Because if you if you're a good personality and a good conversation and and you dress well and all the things that don't usually indicate whether or not you're going to be good at your job, those are the things that appeal to to me, right? It's like you're talking, you're an all in person. So if you come in and you've got a great personality and you're all in, you're like we're just not good at interviewing. We're not good at hiring people because yeah. we we are just fooled in that process. So it's it's having somebody who's actually good at interviewing, which is asking good questions and then knowing how to interpret answers and then dig a little bit deeper and and do some real resume um, research hmm. and research on the companies and really dig in so that when you're asking questions, they're meaningful and have impact and, and you can really determine whether this is going to be a good candidate for you. That it can be one of the most valuable things that you do is get get out of your own way there. So those are kind of the three things that that I would recommend. That's awesome, man. And the only part I insert myself into the hiring process now because of I realize that I'm really bad at hiring. 
is uh, I'm talking with many employees, but everybody who comes to work for one of my organizations will always see me as like the last step. And it's almost just like a thumbs up or a thumbs down. Same. And the only part I'm involved is just culture. Same. It's a culture check for the individual. That's it. As far as the interviews exact and same. can they the, function in, in the role? Can they be successful? That's somebody else. That's not me. Totally agree. Yeah. And especially if it's a higher up position, I get involved in that process, right? Of course. I, I get yeah, involved yeah. in some of those interviews. I just make absolutely. sure. Yeah, I just make sure that anytime I am involved, there's plenty of other voices and, and ears and eyeballs around me to, to, I don't, you know, I like to, to check myself. I like to make sure and get a lot of other people's opinion. And the truth is at the end of the day, that's, that's who's going to be working with them and managing and, 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 you know, the team is going to have to actually work together to, to meet goals and, and reach objectives. It's not, it's not going to be me within those teams. So if I am involved and there's definitely times I, I get involved, I just make sure there's plenty of other opinions and voices to make sure that I, I stay straight. That's beautiful. Even outside the hiring process too, my man, I appreciate what you're talking about having that wisdom in a multitude of counselors. Yeah, and I, there's, there's individuals that are in my inner circle. There's three specifically that have the the right you know um, i'll say the right not even it started with the privilege but then it became a right as proving themselves over time and everything that they can actually challenge me you know and i encourage them to challenge me on a lot of things i mean even to the points where you know our culture is pretty fun you know we do things like www wine and whiskey wednesday so there's a lot of fun involved in what we do but then there's also some pretty hard-ass work that we get involved in but in that process dude i, I get crazy ideas and even yesterday one individual was like no we need to slow down you know i'm like we need to build the plane as we're flying it you know because i can't i can't just not i can't just sit here she's like i would prefer to have wings at least wings can we at least have wings before we try to take off i'm not asking for the whole plane can we at least have the wings <laughs> and i appreciate that because the, the individuals that are in that inner circle you know as the leader as the entrepreneur you need that you need to depend on everybody else's opinions and their their wisdom and their genius because there's no possible way that you can think of every contingency on your own you know i'm really really good at strategy really great at that and i can see multiple forks in the road and figure out what the outcomes are going to be but those pitfalls along those roads are something that my team really really helps me out with and if yeah, they're, totally. they're seeing dangers or, or whatever down one of those paths, they'll call me on it. And I appreciate that. And that's why, the you know, you need that team. You need that inner circle to be like, man, you're crazy, you know, and that's okay when it's done in a respectful way, even as a leader. And I appreciate that. We're like, Rick, there's no way this is going to work. <laughs> well, cool. Maybe not that way. Well, let's figure out a way that it's going to work then. Well, we need the wings. Awesome. Then let's build the wings first. Yeah, I think that's awesome. I think that goes back to to the the empowerment word that you used earlier. It's like you're empowering your team to do what you're hiring them to do. And sometimes you're going to be the one that's pushing outside where your the limit should be pushed within the organization, right? So for those people to be strong enough and and you guys have a a good enough culture and strong enough culture where you can get back all in alignment in that way, I think is a huge testament to to the way you guys are are running your team and running your organization. It's cool, man. I, I love teams. I love culture. The, the last question I have, dude, tell me a little bit about Rocket Station because I know nothing about that and I see it in front of me. So what is Rocket Station? Yeah, we're, I, I feel like uh, I've talked about it too much already, but we, we just do two things. We do system and process development 
and we're dedicated teams to fulfill those roles. So we're really good at, at inside sales, at scheduling appointments, at following up, at making sales teams really good. We're really good at all the back office administrative roles. For, so from customer support to bookkeeping to all the things that it takes to, to make things go. So we are, it's not a 1099, it's not a W-2, it's just a service contract. And we are experts in workforce management. So happy to if you just go to rocketstation.com and there's some great information there. But um, yeah, that, that we're just kind of a two-trick pony. I don't have the energy that you do to do a million different things. So we that's <laughs> that's it. That's all that's all Rocket Station can do right now. That's funny. <laughs> I mean, thanks for that. But I do know that you love to travel the world. That's here too, man. You know, where's the where's the last place that you went prior to all the stupidness this year that you really enjoyed? Oh man, I I usually get to spend four or five uh, times a year. I get to go to the Philippines, and that is my absolute favorite place to go and spend time and hang out. And uh, last time I was there, I got to go surfing down in a, a surf, small surf community called Shargao. And it was just amazing. And so I had plans of going back and then and then COVID hit and I didn't get to go this year since then. So I'm really looking forward to, you, you mentioned traveling. I love to travel and, I, and I'm looking forward to, to getting to go back and hopefully the vaccine uh, will help us get there a little bit faster and get the world open back as, as your your movie talks about with the, with the lockdown. I'm hoping we can get back out of it as soon as possible. I feel you. I think most Americans are really sharing that perspective now, too. Let's just get back to some sort of normalcy, you know, because everybody needs to make a living. Everybody just needs to have, you know, walk through life, not in a depressed state, wondering with this cloud hanging over them. That's the real toll that I've seen this year. I mean, I thank you for coming on. And I mean, going through our conversation has been just fantastic for me today. I hope you enjoyed it, brother. It's been a lot of fun, Rick. I, I, I love the show. I appreciate you having me on. I appreciate your time and your team's been fantastic. So uh, thanks a lot for, for having me on the All In uh, You bet, show. my man. It, it means Where a can lot. everybody it's find you? Show. I know you, yeah, you have the website, but what? Yeah, rocketstation.com. You can hit me up on Facebook. Um, I don't do a, a ton of, uh, of online stuff, but just check me out on Facebook or go to rocketstation.com and, and you'll see me there. Sweet, my man. Thank you again. What's shaking? Thank you for joining me on the All In Podcast. Click the subscribe button and smash that bell for notifications. Text me, 312-535-8520. Follow me on social media, at Mr. Rick Jordan. See you next episode. I am Rick Jordan, and I approve this message.